The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 9. Luke, chapter 9, and we're going to go back to the 28th verse in just a moment. But geographically speaking, let's think about where we're getting ready to go because it's important as it pertains to the Scripture and to where Jesus will be taking His disciples in just a moment. We're going to go to Mount Hermon. We're on Mount Hermon in the northern parts of Israel. If you've ever been to Israel with us, you more than likely have had an afternoon where we go to Caesarea Philippi, and then from Caesarea Philippi, we go to the gates of Dan, and from the gates of Dan, we go all the way up to the top of Mount Hermon. And looking in one direction, you'll find Alquantaria, Syria, and then if you turn around and look behind you, you'll notice the Valley of Galilee. You'll see the very most edged parts of the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place. During the winter, there is enough snow that those of you that like to ski and snowboard, uh, and I hope carry a really good insurance policy for when you go to the ER, there is a place to even ski in Israel, yes, at the top of Mount Hermon, a beautiful, beautiful high mountain. And it's the place where we'll focus geographically today. And what happened on this mountain is one of the most important and most powerful moments in all of the New Testament. I believe in my heart that second only to the resurrection of the Lord and Savior and second only to the ascension back into heaven, this moment in the New Testament is quite possibly one of the most powerful, beautiful moments that points to the divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it was one of the most powerful things ever seen on earth. And thank God he did not keep it concealed that we would not know about it until heaven. Jesus could have left all of his disciples in the valley of Galilee, but he took with him three of his disciples, James, Peter, and John and went up on this mountain for this presentation of glory and power and majesty. And this is called the transfiguration of Jesus. It's one of the most powerful moments in all of Scripture, but it's also one of the misunderstood and misrepresented portions of all of Scripture. And what I find for us today in this passage are some things that God gives us in the experience of the three disciples that were there that if we'll allow it, it can change our perception as it pertains to how God moves in our lives. It can change our outlook, our worldview, on even what it means to live following the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a rich, rich passage. And there are multiple things to look at. But let's read now Luke 9. Go to the 28th verse. It'll be on your screen. And it came to pass about an eight days after these saying. He took Peter and John and James and went up in a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. Now let me stop you right there at verse 29. If you understand that raiment was white and glistering, it means that Jesus in this moment was as bright as a bolt of lightning, as bright as as a bolt of lightning. And what that means is Jesus is stepping back into the full capacity of his divinity. We believe that Jesus was all God, yes. Anybody in the, in the building agree with me that Jesus was all God? 
and he was all man. Well, in his moment, this moment of transfiguration, he becomes the image and in the power and in the glory, the divinity of what he would look like in the full capacity of his power as God, the second person of the Godhead. He steps back into that role and he allows three Jews, Peter, James, and John, to look upon something that should have instantly killed them. These were mortal men. There is no reason that that much glory and that much power should have even uh, not killed these three. But God in grace and mercy allowed them to witness the transfiguration and then allowed Peter to even bear testimony and witness later about what really happened that night on the mountain. Let's go to verse number 30. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory. And the two men that stood with him, and it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he had said. And while he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, God, for just a few minutes, we pray now that you'd use the word, God, to change our lives. God, I pray that you would stir the saints, save the lost. God, that you would do something through your servant today. God, hide me behind the cross. Use me to preach in power with liberty, bind distraction, Fix our mind on the word of God and nothing else and change lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. What we find in our text this morning is an illustration. This is a depiction, a dramatic display of the glory, the power, the divinity, the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And can you imagine what it felt like for James and for Peter and for John who have been following Jesus faithfully they believe him to be the Messiah. They call him rabbi. They call him master. They call him teacher. But now they're going to go to the mountain and everything is going to change. All of the things that they had heard Jesus say up to this point is now going to be confirmed in what they get to see. They get to see Jesus in the same fashion that one day you and I will get to see Jesus when we all get to heaven. Those that are in the faith. One day you will get to behold the same glory the same majesty, the same power, and the same visual image of this Christ. It's the same Christ in the same visual image that ascended back to heaven, save that there were some scars on his body. This is an important moment. This is a powerful moment. And God let these three men be a witness to it. There are a few things in this story that I believe with all of my heart that can change our way of life. It can change our thinking. It can change the way we look at even being spirit-led as people. 
And if you're a Christian and you're living in the faith and you're following the will of God for your life, this is important to you. This is something that maybe could change the way you're looking at a very tough situation in your life or even the way that you're pursuing the Lord. And then obviously if you've been a part of Trinity the past five or six years, you've heard me preach multiple times from the transfiguration of Jesus And I'll be honest with you, I've struggled some going, well, Lord, we've already preached these verses. We've already looked at these passages. And there was an old man of God I was listening to preach the other day, an old recording of him. He's in heaven now. His name's Vance Havner. And Vance Havner said this. He said, man of God, go back to the text. Student of the word, go back to the text and ask God to reveal to you the unfamiliar from the familiar. And so today, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to go back to this familiar passage for us, but we're going to ask God to give us something maybe that's unfamiliar from the passage. I want you to notice now in verse 28 what it says. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. Now, how many disciples does Jesus have? Twelve disciples. So the other that are, are staying, let's, let's be them for a moment. James and Peter and John have been selected now to go up the mountain with Jesus. Only 25% of the available disciples get to go on this journey. The others have to stay down in the valley of Galilee and wait on Jesus, their teacher, their master, their rabbi, to come back with these other three. Now, if I was one of the others that had to stay back, I'm just going to be real with you. I would not be happy. You mean to tell me that James and Peter and John yet again get special VIP access to do something with the Lord Jesus and I have to stay down here? And I think for us today as Christians, we have to remember something that this, praise God, is not the way it is for us today. We do not have the physical body of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ living on earth with us today. Now, Jesus is alive, he's well, he's on the throne, and he is in heaven. And praise God, one day he's coming for us. But I have never sat with the physical body of the Lord Jesus at supper. You have never seen the hair on Jesus' head. You personally have not seen the scars on his body from going to the cross. These men had... But sometimes I get things out of whack and I think, well, they really had a lot of access and man, they they got to see things I'll never get to see until I get to heaven. But, But listen to me now, there is a greater privilege for you today as a child of God living in 2023 that no matter who you are and no matter if your name is James or Peter or John and no matter how much money you have and no matter how well you're educated... And no matter what side of town you live on, that there is a privilege for everybody that's here to live in and be in his presence. Nobody is getting left on the bottom side of the mountain. Every single person here today can experience the privilege of being in his presence. That's number one this morning. I'll give you a few things from this story. Number one, the privilege of his presence. I do not deserve to be here today. Let me say it again for the Baptist in the room. I do not deserve to be here today. I did not earn my spot 
in the kingdom of God. I was drafted by the Holy Ghost to preach. I was called out from death to life the day I got saved. This is all God and I did not deserve any of it. So then when I come to church or when I read my Bible or when I get in my prayer closet and I pray, it is a privilege for me to be in his presence. I don't have to come to church today. I don't have to sing in the choir. I don't have to play the piano. I don't have to lead the music. I don't have to serve in the media team. I get to do all of those things. And it's my great privilege to live in his presence. It's a privilege today to be a Christian. Listen to what I'm saying in America you have been given, if you are an American citizen or if you are going for your citizenship and you live here and you're a Christian, you have been given a great privilege to serve the Lord and be in his presence in a place where you can be bold about the fact that you live in his presence. It's going to get quiet right here. There are Christians all around the world that are meeting today that are meeting in more adverse conditions than you've ever lived in in your entire life. It's illegal for them to possess a copy of the word of God. It's illegal for them to go into the street and proclaim loudly that the name of Jesus will will, will be the, the perpetuation for sin and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There are places on this earth that if you did that, you'd wind up in prison. But God in his grace and his mercy, not only do you have the privilege of being a Christian today, but you have the privilege of being a Christian in the most free place on earth. If we're not careful, those freedoms will erode right out of our hands. If we're not careful, the great blessings that God has given us in our liberty will go right out of our hands. And I believe that has nothing to do with politics and everything to do with the desire and the hunger of the people that understand that it is a privilege to have those freedoms. It's a privilege to be here today. It's a privilege to see you today. It's a privilege to worship today. It's a privilege to say the name of Jesus today. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's a privilege to be here and to live in his presence. Then why then, if it's a privilege and we all agree to that, why do we act sometimes like it's a penance to pay rather than a privilege? Why is it a penance? (sighs) That, That preacher... Ziklag's on fire. I have to get my church clothes together. Lord knows if we miss, we're going to get a card. I've got to get up and make a a delicious pot of coffee and I have to go read my Bible because if I don't, Miranda's going to say something or somebody, you know, it'll be evident that I didn't read my Bible and we start acting like living in his presence is a penance and not a privilege. It's a privilege that you get to be here. It's a privilege that you got up this morning and you had air in your lungs and blood in your veins and the right mind to dress yourself. It's a privilege this morning that you had a car to drive to get to church. It's a privilege that you had money in your account that God let you win so you could buy gas to get to church. It's a privilege to be here this morning. Anything less is so disrespectful 
to the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done. And see, sometimes our attitude, listen to me now, our attitude gets the best of us, even safe people. When I woke up this morning and I shaved my face, I shaved flesh, rotten, corrupt, lying, horrible flesh. That's what our flesh is. The human heart, according to Jeremiah, is desperately wicked and deceitful above all. Who can know what he asks? I'm saved. I'm secure. I'm sanctified. I'm growing each and every day in that. And I am going towards a home in heaven. Praise God for that. But I'll wake up and I have my flesh to deal with, to war with, to contend with. And it's a battle and it's a struggle. And every once in a while, my attitude gets out of, really out of line. And what I'll start doing, I hope you're paying attention this morning. What I'll start doing is acting like it's God's privilege that I come into his presence. Lord, it's your privilege I'm here today. Bless me if you can. Hurry the preacher up. I'm ready to go. Well, I've read a psalm and I've read a chapter of John. My Lord, what more do you want? Uh, I prayed with that woman. I put a $100 bill that I didn't have to give in that man's hand. And, and I told him, God bless him. And I, I gave $5 to that homeless man at, at Walmart. And I, Lord, it's your privilege to have me. What more do you want from me? What more can I do? I, I've been faithful to church all four Sundays this month. So Lord, I'm going to take the next six weeks as a spiritual sabbatical. And I'm going to go to the beach and the oceans and the mountains and the lakes and the rivers and the streams and there I will find you. And it's a privilege, Lord, that I've done that. And yes, the Lord is pleased when his children obey him. But it is never his privilege to have our presence. Rather, it is always our privilege to even know who God is in the first place. Church attendance, tithing. Your mouth, your attitude, your words, all of these things will always indicate just how much you appreciate the Lord. Every time. We tell on ourselves and don't even realize it. It's because we've forgotten what a privilege it is to be in His presence. It's a privilege this morning to serve and to love the Lord. Number two, go to verse number 33. Not only is it a privilege to be in His presence... But then because of that flesh we talked about a minute ago, there's verse number 33. All of this glory, all of this majesty, all of this power on the mountain. And then Peter interjects with his perception of the event. The perception of Peter. Verse 33, and it came to pass as they departed from him. Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias, not knowing what he said. You see, this is human nature, human perspective, human meddling with the things of God that sometimes we don't even understand. Poor old Peter, he did not get the entire thing. Jesus is literally glowing like a lightning bolt. Moses and Elijah are standing with Jesus having a conversation and all of this glory and majesty and things happening that Peter has never seen before. And Peter in his wisdom and in his ability and with what he thought needed to happen, Peter walks up, 
and interrupts Jesus and says, Jesus, uh, this is wonderful. Now let me tell you what we need to do. Let's build a tabernacle. One for you, one for me, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's just all stay right here in the glory on the mountain. This is a perfect picture of human nature on display. God will be moving. God will be stirring. God will be opening the womb of the church and saving people at Jubilee and VBS. And we'll have Wednesday morning services where you get a breath from heaven. And you'll have Wednesday night services where the preached word of God penetrates hearts. And God's doing great and mighty things. And then all of a sudden, here comes old Baptist Peter. Here comes Peter. And he's got something to say. Lord, let me give my opinion about what should happen next. Peter should be on his face, prostrate before his master, his Messiah, his teacher. But no, Peter's in his face telling him what needs to happen next. How backwards is that? Peter, God loving, he got excited and he got in the flesh. And listen to me now in all love. Sometimes we need to learn to say no to good things. And sometimes we need to learn to hush our mouths and let God be God. Sometimes it's not positive like Peter. God love him. He's messed up here and he's making a mistake here. But I believe in his heart of hearts, he thought he was doing the right thing. I'll be a servant. I'll make the tabernacles and we'll stay right here. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Do you know what Peter needed to do? He needed to observe, to worship, and then later on when it was over, ask Jesus about the things that he had saw. You see, this comes out in us, even in saved people, even in people who love God and who want to be a part. There are some things that come out of us, especially when God's moving. It comes in three ways. It comes in the form of comments, critiques, and criticisms. Comments, critiques, and criticisms. Well, preacher, those were the, some of the best Jubilee services I've ever been in, but let's, let's not have two preachers next year. It's too long. Let's, let's make sure that we don't do what we did this year. Make sure that hymn sing is, is too long. Hey, preacher, that, that guy, you know, he's kind of crazy and he acts like he drinks gasoline or something. Maybe we need to find somebody else to take his spot. We better be careful. Let God be God. You see, because the devil will use, especially in a church, in a Baptist church, a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching church, the devil will take comments and criticisms and critiques and he will drive a wedge between the heart of the pastor and the people. Or he'll drive a wedge between the heart of the people and other people. And next thing you know, it looks like civil war in here. We got 18 pound cannons firing from this side. We got 20 pounders firing from that side. And there's cavalry and infantry marching on the other people. And it looks like all out war because of comments, criticisms, and critiquing. When God's on the move, as my granddaddy put it, and I think Poppy put it this way too, when God is sowing the seed, sometimes the best thing we can do is stay out of his way and let God be God. You better make sure that if you go to a young man who's worshiping the Lord, 
hear me now, who's worshiping the Lord with his hand raised towards heaven and say, now, now, son, we want to learn. We want to love the Lord. We want to we want to worship. But that might be a little too loud. It might be a little too loud. God help you. God help you. I'd rather have 15 people with that much zeal and that much fire and that much passion than 15,000 sacks of dry bones that have no passion and no zeal for God. Let God be God, Peter, and take your seat. Doesn't mean that you don't pray and ask the Lord for the right time. God may want you to say something, but Peter, wait till it's time. God may want you to make a move in your life, Peter, but wait till it's time. When God's developing your heart and he's taking you deeper in prayer and deeper into his word and he's revealing things and pulling things out of you, that is not the time to move. It is the time to allow God to be God even in our personal lives. It's human nature. And, and what Peter showed perfectly is that his intentions might have been heartfelt. But his lack of spiritual discernment and his ignorance was proved. And it proved in a way that embarrassed him. It proved in a way that moved God's hand to correct him. If you belong to the Lord, say amen. amen. Do you realize that if you make a mistake, that if you're doing something wrong, that God will correct you? Praise God for his correction. Praise God that he loves us enough to correct us. That's exactly what happens in this next verse. Go to verse number 35. Let's go to 34 and read it backwards to 35. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, colon. What are the next two words? Hear him. Understand what the Bible's saying. It's saying as Peter is speaking, Moses and Elijah are no longer standing there. There comes a cloud. And the cloud surrounds Peter and James and John and Jesus. And out of that cloud, almost a, a type of the Shekinah glory, there's only one person who can claim that person, the, the, the Son of God, to be his Son. And that is God the Father. And God the Father corrected Peter's misunderstanding and his ignorance in spiritual discernment. Now, folks, I have been corrected by a lot of people in my life. My dad, God love him, he had to absolutely beat the sin and Satan himself out of me sometimes. Sweet little cuddly boy, yeah, right. I was a devil some days. And my dad loved me enough to correct me. Amen. You say, he beat you? My daddy spanked me. Amen. Thank God he spanked me. Amen. With a tear in his eye and a prayer on his lips, he corrected me when I was wrong. And yeah, it hurt, but you know what? I learned from it. I didn't want to do it again. There was an old black belt that lived in our house. <laughs> 52 Clinton Avenue in West Asheville. I remember the break in the leather where the, where the tongue would go straight into the hole. I, I can remember every detail of that belt. I mean, I remember it vividly. I thought about throwing it away one time. And then I thought, he's going to dig it out of the trash and then beat me with it. I better not do this. 
And I always remembered how big of a deal it was when my father loved me enough to correct me and punish me. And then I can remember vividly, you can say what you want, we can get into the child psychology, your memory doesn't go that far back, I'm telling you right now, as God is my witness standing behind this pulpit, I was four, maybe five years old. I was at my grandmom and granddaddy's house. We was having a Friday night cookout. Hamburgers, kielbasa, sweet tea, potato salad that grandmama had made, it was still warm. And you wonder why? Some of you got that. And I can remember distinctively wanting Rory to play home improvement. And I got granddaddy's flat nose screwdriver. And I'm going to go up to the light socket that's at the door, the French doors that, that go out to the deck. And I, I sat down on my hind end and, and I'm playing and I'm acting like I'm working on that light socket, that, that, that fixture, that plug. And my granddaddy walks by and goes, Winston. Don't, don't put that near that, that, that outlet. You'll get shocked. It could kill you. Get away from there. And I looked at him. And in a moment of lapse of judgment, I just kept going. And, and I'm getting closer to putting the, the flat-nosed screwdriver inside of that, of that outlet. And he loved me enough not to let me electrocute myself. And Ralph Sexton, who's the most gentle, timid, kind lamb that God has ever created took that screwdriver out of my hand and he threw it and he took my right hand and he went I told you to quit it felt as if God himself <laughs> had put me in the dark hole in the barren land that never again would I see sunshine horrible experience but I remember the correction. Guess what I did, Brother Kevin? I never, ever one time, I don't even like touching screwdrivers anymore. <laughs> never one time again did I try to put that screwdriver into that electrical outlet. Praise God for correction. But as much as that got a hold of my attention, and as much as my daddy got a hold of my attention a lot, I have never in my life had to be corrected in the physical presence of God the Father in the Shekinah glory. I've never known that type of correction. Whatever Peter was doing in his heart, it might have been good intentions, but it was so off of God's plan for what this presentation was that number three, God the Father had to show Peter the point of the presentation. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Peter, hush. P Peter, close your mouth. Shh. Be quiet, Peter. It it's Peter, it's not about you. Peter, you may want to do this. You may want to stay here. You may want to build these tabernacles and it may be a good idea on paper, but Peter, hush your mouth. Be quiet and hear my son. When God's moving and He's stirring in your life and you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, living in His presence, and when He's moving, sometimes the best thing for us is to do what God the Father told Peter to do, and that is to sit down, to shut up, and to listen to what Jesus has to say. Listen to what He has to say. And, and here's what Peter's doing. He's, Peter's saying, I've got this figured out. 
How many times are we going to have to go through our own lives in our own processes trying to figure out problems, especially in our families? Well, if I have that conversation with her, it'll fix things. If I say that to him, it'll fix things. If I, if I just give them some money and get them out of that little hole, it'll fix everything. If I, if I can just take them on vacation and everything's going to be fine. And I'll fix it. I can handle this. I, I can help the preacher. I'll tell him what needs to happen and it'll, it'll be a blessing to him. It might be good intentions, but sometimes we need to do what God told Peter to do. And that's to listen to the voice of Jesus. God had this figured out. The presentation is what our lives are about every day. It's about bringing honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Watch Peter, his movements. Peter, it's not your place. Learn from him. You see, Peter got a little bit ahead of himself here. But every time we get ahead of God, it always costs us a season of correction. It's part of his love for us. And some folks in this church, I love you with all of my heart, but listen to me. Until you stop doing the nonsense and getting ahead of God in all of these situations, you're never going to live outside of the correction. You cannot ignore the word of God in your life and in your home and expect things to be pleasant. You'll always, always be in a season of correction. God is a jealous God. He has the order to this service on the mountain, if you will. He knows what's supposed to happen. And he said, Peter, hear him, not you. This is where we humble ourselves. Here's the truth. I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. Lord willing, a future father. A future grandfather. If the Lord tarries, I'd like to be a great grandfather. And get in a lot of trouble together. It'd be fun. But there'll never be a place or a point in my life, listen to me, where I'll know better than the Lord does. It won't matter how gray my hair gets, how wrinkled my face gets. It will not matter how much wisdom I'm imparted to on this earth. I'll never know better than God. And part of some people's problem is you're in the glory, you're in the presence, you've lost sight of the privilege that you have, and now you're in Peter's shoes, and you're trying to tell God to get out of the seat and let you drive. You're going to crash. And it may not be you that pays the price, it could be the ones that are riding with you on that ride. Your children. Moms and dads, your children need you to do what Peter was told to do, and hear him. Hear the Lord. Don't pull them out of that school until God has explicitly given you the green light. Don't change jobs again. Pray this time. It can cost you more this time than it did last time. Don't just frivolously uproot your family and move to Tennessee because they're a little more conservative and fun and good old boys. God help us to live in the privilege of his presence and seek his will for our lives every day. Every day. Wait on His Word. Get our perception to focus on the point of the presentation. Our lives are not our own. They belong to the Lord. And our lives have been purposed in heaven to bring glory to the name of the Lord. Now, let me add this. I want you to notice that it wasn't just about spectating. 
It wasn't just about staying on the mountain. Go with me into Luke 9, but go down to the 37th verse. Notice what happens. The moment is over. It's time to go back. Jesus is now back into his normal vestiture, if you will. He looks now like he did when he went up the mountain. Verse 37 says, And it came to pass that on the next day, the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him. And he suddenly crieth out. And it teareth him, and he foameth again. And bruising him, hardly departed from him. And I besought thy disciples. These are the ones that were left at the bottom of the hill. To cast him out, and they could not. Peter was being so selfish and he didn't realize it. He said, Jesus, let's build tabernacles. Temporary shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And what he's saying is, let's stay right here. Let's keep it to ourselves. All of this glory, all of this majesty. No doubt Peter wanted to be in that presence, in that glory. But Peter was being so selfish. He's saying, let's stay here and not take it down there where it's needed. Notice that God allowed the disciples that had remained at the bottom of the mountain to attempt to cast out the demon from the boy who was possessed. And the Bible says that the, the father said, and they could not do it. Jesus had to come off the mountain with James and Peter and John for the boy who was captured by the darkness and the wickedness for him to be set free, Jesus had to come to where he was. When you refuse, when you refuse to give good report from the Father's house, when you refuse to share your faith with someone at work, at school, when you refuse to look at someone you know desperately needs the truth and the love that Jesus is, and you keep it to yourself, you're no different than Peter. You're just staying up on the mountain, building the tabernacles, and staying put. The work church is not in here. This is not your Christian life. Let me say it again. The work is not in here. The work's out there. It's outside those walls. And there are people, listen, there are people not even a half mile, not even a half mile, from this building on Haywood Road, on Craven Street, on Clinton Avenue, on Covington, on Sand Hill, on Patton Avenue, who are possessed, who are oppressed, and who are crying and that they're being torn and they're being absolutely ripped apart by sin and wickedness and even demonic possession. And there are no disciples around them. We're all here in the building on the mountain. But it says, and the next day, Monday is coming. Monday's coming. Who will you tell of what you saw on the mountain? We don't have to be like Peter, James, and John who were told not to tell. We've been told to go. To go. Go into every place possible and proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. And every time you refuse to live in that light, 
You're being selfish, just like Peter. We can't stay here with the good news of the glory. It has to go out. And Jesus assigned us to be those missionaries, those disciples, those witnesses to everyone around us. Lastly, we'll close with this. I've said it many of times, I wish so bad I could have been there. I wish so bad, Joe, that I could have been there that day. But according to the Word of God, He knew that these days would come that we're living in. 2023 is tough to be living and trying to live openly and blatantly for the Lord Jesus. It's not as tough as it's been before though. There have been times in our past as a church, I'm not talking about Trinity Baptist Church, I'm talking about the church as a whole, where just to say His name would cost you your life. We're not living in that yet. I'd be careful for anyone who lives in America to talk about blatant persecution. Go to China and then maybe we'll talk about persecution. We're just in a little pressure. In all love, and I'm not trying to, to berate anyone, we need to get tough and we need to grow up. We need to pursue spiritual maturity like never before because if we don't, the work that's to be done on the other side, down the mountain, you won't make it. You won't make it. The work that's out there, we must be equipped. We must have something. And it can't just be our experience on the mountain. I'm glad that that's your heart. Because the Bible has given us number four, the more powerful promise. Old Peter, he got his heart right. This was not his worst day. There were worse days than this for Peter. Yet Jesus chose him to be the chief of the apostles and do things for the church and set us in motion. Peter would die by crucifixion just like Jesus Christ did, persecuted for his faith. Except Peter so loved the Lord Jesus, he wouldn't let him crucify him in the same manner. Peter was crucified upside down, his head hanging where the feet go. That's the kind of man he was. And Peter said before he died in his testimony of what happened that day, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Finally, the, the Holy Ghost gave Peter the green light. Go tell now what you saw on the mountain. Speak of it. Proclaim it. Tell others. And God the Holy Ghost for us has canonized in Scripture his testimony of that night on the mountain. 2 Peter chapter 1, go to the 16th verse for the sake of time. Peter said this, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice from him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Listen to what Peter's saying. He, he's affirming for us in, in, in 17 and 18. 17 is the baptism. That's John the Baptist. That's where the dove came and the voice of God the Father was heard. Behold my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then in verse 18, and the voice that came from heaven we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. He's confirmed for us that is the voice of God the Father. And Peter's saying, yes, it was wonderful. And yes, it was full of majesty and wonder and power. But then verse 18 comes for you and me living in 2023 in dark times and in difficult days. And we have also 
a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that take that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Your more sure word of prophecy is in your lap this morning. Here's your more sure word of prophecy. It is the word of God. Peter was saying more than what I saw, more than what I smelt, and more than what I felt. Church, your more powerful promise, your more sure word of prophecy. Peter's telling us it's better than what he saw on the mountain. There's a little sidebar here. Miss Amber, won't you come and play and we'll dismiss in a moment. There's a sidebar here. Notice verse 17 in 2 Peter chapter 1 really captured my heart again. Peter said, he's talking about Jesus. He said, Jesus received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice from Him in the excellent glory. I want you to go back to Luke chapter 9 for just a second. Go to verse number 30 and 31. And behold, this is Jesus. There talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. And notice now the conversation. Man, this just blows my mind. Buddy, this is a conversation between Jesus Christ, Moses, and Elijah. And look what the Bible says that they're talking about. Who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah and Jesus had a, a pregame meeting. And they talked about his death that was getting ready to happen in Jerusalem. Moses was there representing the church, those that had died in the faith before the cross. Elijah, who never died, who had been called up, was there to represent the church that'll be raptured out one day, praise God. But if I understand what Peter is saying, if they're talking about his death that's coming in Jerusalem, and if Jesus is in the full capacity of his divinity, then why would Jesus need to receive specifically from God the Father honor and glory? If he's in his full capacity in all divinity, as bright as a bolt of lightning, then why does Jesus need to receive from the Father honor and glory? It has to do with the conversation piece. This idea of earnest this principle of God where God will give a down payment. God's given you the greatest down payment that anybody's ever received. The moment you got saved, hell moved out, heaven moved in. And what Peter is saying is, church, it may be dark outside. It may be tough. It may be pressure. It may be the hardest thing you ever have to do. But don't worry about what I saw on the mountain. Go to the more sure word of prophecy. It doesn't matter that God the Father had told Jesus that he was receiving honor and glory with Moses and Elijah as much as it matters that you have the Bible. And that day, God the Father gave Jesus, the Son of God, a down payment on the honor and the glory which should be accomplished at Jerusalem because God the Father would have to turn his back on his Son 
And in the three hours of darkness as Jesus became your sin and my sin and literally became anathema, the curse on the cross, God said, son, before you go, I'm going to give you some honor and I'm going to give you some glory. And Moses and Elijah, we're going we're to pray for you and we're going to talk and then you'll go pay for your bride. But before you go to the cross, I'm going to give you some glory and some honor. Peter said, your Bible is a more sure word of prophecy. You need your Bible. It's vital. None of this is going to work if you don't fall in love with the Word of God. If you don't consume the Word of God, it'll change your life if you'll let it. Our perspectives could ever and for always be changed leaving this building today if we'll just ask the Lord to help us. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for our study in Scripture today. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for the more sure word of prophecy that you've given us. Lord, that we can live our lives completely committed to following you. Now, Lord, I pray for one that's here today that's struggling. I pray for one that's here today it's being rebellious. I pray for the one that's here today that's holding on to petty sin. I pray for the one that's here today that's riding the fence and refuses to commit. I pray for the one that you're blessing financially who refuses to give to you, who refuses to tithe, who refuses to be thankful. God, I pray that you'd help him. Lord, I pray for the father who is continuously not leading his home towards righteousness. I pray for the mother who's struggling as she prays for her unsaved husband. I pray for the single mom that's here that has no husband who's doing her best to hold on and make ends meet. I pray for the police officer, the firefighter, the paramedic, the ER nurse. I pray for the ones who are laboring each and every day in the darkness. And I pray that you'd strengthen them today. Give them what they need. Lord, I pray for the gray-headed saint of God who you've given so much life and so much wisdom. I pray that in these last days that they'd recommit their lives, Lord, to invest in the next generation. Lord, not just with their money, but with their actions, with their heart, and with their obedience to your word. We love you. We thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.